Her name was Anna, and as soon as she entered the train car, James Millart was bewitched. It wasn't because she was beautiful, although she was. It was the bracelet on her wrist, gleaming in gold. His trained eye instantly recognized it as a treasure from the days of ancient Troy. It was spring 1958, and the 33-year-old Millart was traveling through western Turkey. He was a plump man with thick glasses, a no-name archaeologist from England. The discoveries that would make him famous were still years away, but he burned with ambition. His obsession in life was Turkey. He had moved to Turkey years earlier and had married a Turkish archaeologist. He was especially obsessed with a region of central Turkey called Anatolia, or Asia Minor. Millard wanted to prove that Anatolia had a history every bit as glorious as Rome or Greece. So as soon as he saw the Anatolian bracelet on the arm of the woman in the train, he was transfixed. He screwed up his courage and introduced himself. Her name was Anna Papastrati. She spoke English well. She told him she lived in Izmir, a city on the Turkish coast. As Millard peppered her with questions, she revealed that she had a whole horde of similar treasures at her house. Did Millard want to see them? <laughs> of course he did. But Millard had no place to stay in Izmir. Anna, though, offered to put him up for the night at her house. However excited, Millard hesitated. His wife would be furious about him sleeping at a strange woman's home. But his lust for archaeology got the better of him. Besides, it was just one night. He said yes. He had no idea that this one night would haunt him for the rest of his life. From the Science History Institute, this is Sam Keen and the Disappearing Spoon, a topsy-turvy, sciencey history podcast, where footnotes become the real story. In Izmir, Millard and Anna took the ferry to her home. But before they examined the artifacts, Anna insisted on cooking him dinner. They dined overlooking the water under candlelight with a bottle of wine. Afterward, Anna wanted to linger at the table and chat, but Millard insisted on seeing the artifacts. They did not disappoint. There were gold earrings, ivory combs, jeweled daggers, necklaces with turquoise and amber. Millard recognized them as belonging to the so-called Yorton culture, which thrived thousands of years ago near the fabled city of Troy. Anna said the treasures came from a place called Dorak, a town south of Istanbul. They'd been unearthed during a war in the 1920s, but she dodged Millard's questions about how she had come to obtain them. Millard did not press her, and he soon forgot such questions anyway. He was too excited over the treasures. He spent the whole next day studying them. When night fell, Anna encouraged him to stay another night. So he did. The same thing happened the next day and the next. In all, Millard spent a week in Anna's home, fawning over the treasures while she fawned over him. Millard made detailed drawings of the artifacts, but Anna forbid him from taking photographs. Instead, she promised to mail him some photos. This seemed odd, but Millard agreed and gave her his address. And upon finally leaving her home, 
he slyly noted her address, 217 Cosm Derrick Street. Ben Millard went back home to his wife and waited for Anna's letter. A whole month passed, and then another. Summer arrived and drifted into fall, but still no letter from Anna. Millard began to fret like a jilted lover. Why hadn't she written yet? Did he do something wrong? He finally could not take it anymore and wrote to her instead. No answer came. Meanwhile, Millard was busy doing other archaeology. In fact, that November, he made a discovery that would catapult him to worldwide fame. It involved a site called Shadalhoyak in south-central Turkey. It's a 9,000-year-old city, perhaps the first true city in history. And beyond its incredible age, other things made the place special, too. People in Shadalhoyak lived in mud-brick homes that stood just inches apart. There were no streets there, no parks, no open spaces. People got from place to place by walking across each other's roofs. The houses did not have doors, either. People entered and exited their homes on ladders through skylights. Shadalhoyak was a sky city. The insides of the homes were special, too. People painted spectacular murals on the walls of bulls, vultures, leopards. They crafted figurines of animals and goddesses as well. Most fascinating of all, the people of Shadalhoyak buried their dead inside their homes and did so right in the dirt beneath their beds. Every night you would tuck into sleep with the skeletons of grandma and grandpa and your crazy uncle just inches beneath your head. When Millard discovered Shadalhoyak in 1958, the city was buried beneath a giant mound of dirt 60 feet tall, with weeds covering the mound. But even during preliminary digs, he could tell that Shadalhoyak was special. The murals, the skeletons in the bedroom, the people walking on the roofs. Who wouldn't be enchanted? Even while making these spectacular discoveries, however, Millard's heart was still elsewhere, on the Dorak treasures. In between digs at Shadalhoyak, he spent many empty months pining over those treasures and writing Anna letters that she never answered. Until one day, finally, she wrote back. Millard tore open the letter, his heart pounding. But it was disappointingly brief, and it contained none of the promised photographs. Anna finished by saying, You were always more interested in these old things than in me. It was signed, Love, Anna. Millard never heard from Anna again. Baffled and heartbroken, he finally gave up writing her. Then he published a short article about the treasures in a British magazine, along with his drawings, and he thought that that would be that. But the article caused a big stir among archaeologists. What amazing treasures! Unfortunately, the article also landed Millard in a world of trouble. You see, the Turkish government was quite sensitive about ancient artifacts, for good reason. Centuries of looting and smuggling had robbed Turkey of much of its cultural history. There were strict laws there about reporting all archaeological finds. But no one had reported the Dorak artifacts. They were undocumented. And government officials were furious to find out about them in a magazine article. Who was this Anna, anyway? How did she get her hands on such treasures? The officials demanded that Millard turn Anna in. Having no other choice, he gave them her address. 217 Kazimderic Street in Izmir. 
But upon arriving in Izmir, the officials noticed something strange. 217 Kazem Derek Street was a shopping center. No one lived there. There were no houses or apartments nearby either. Something was not adding up. And that's when Turkish officials began to suspect that James Mallart was not telling them everything he knew. Have you ever wanted to appreciate books or movies or music from another culture? Do you have a big trip coming up and want to get beyond the tourist spots and immerse yourself in local culture? No matter what the reason, Rosetta Stone is the language program for you. Rosetta Stone has been the expert in language learning for 30 years. Millions have used it. Rosetta Stone knows what works for getting started, remembering what you've learned, and motivating you to stay on track. Plus, the built-in true accent feature gives you live feedback to improve your pronunciation. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. So don't put off learning that language. Start today. For a limited time, Disappearing Spoon listeners get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. When they could not find Anna, Turkish officials turned their investigation and anger toward James Millard. They accused him of working with smugglers. They figured the point of the magazine article was to hype the Dorak treasures and drive up their price. Then, after the smugglers sold the goods, Mallard would take a cut of the profits. When confronted with these charges, Mallard denied everything. In fact, privately, he was starting to suspect that Anna was the one working with smugglers. Had it really been a coincidence that he had met her on the train? And would she really just be wearing ancient treasures on vacation? Perhaps she was a plant. Perhaps she had deliberately worn the bracelet to grab his attention. Then, after he confirmed the goods as authentic, she had disappeared and handed them to smugglers to sell. Mallard confessed his suspicions to the Turkish authorities, but they did not buy his theory. It seemed a little too convenient. Plus, after they started digging around a little bit, they caught Mallard in a few lies about Anna. One lie involved when he had met Anna. Sometimes he said 1952, but sometimes 1958. Millard protested that he was just trying to avoid troubles with his wife. He had not been married in 1952, and he sometimes gave that earlier date to avoid questions about him shacking up with another woman. However understandable, the lies undermined Millard's credibility. Turkish newspapers were soon buzzing with stories about the fat, greedy foreigner who was stealing Turkey's heritage. Now, all this while, Millard continued to dig at Şadalhöyük, the ancient city where people walked across the roofs and buried their family members beneath their beds. In fact, his discoveries there won him worldwide renown. But as a foreigner, 
Malart needed permits to dig in Turkey. And as the Dorak scandal grew, Turkish officials began threatening those permits. In 1964, they denied the permits completely, meaning that Malart could not excavate that year. Malart was furious. He threw an absolute fit. By calling in some favors, he managed to win his permits back in 1965. But it was a short-lived victory, because another scandal soon erupted. For the excavations at Shadalhoyak, Malart had hired diggers from local villages in Turkey. Whenever the workers found something special, like a leopard statue or a goddess figurine, they told Malart. Malart then reported every item to the Turkish government. Or at least every item he knew about. One day in midsummer 1965, a government official visited an antique shop 20 miles from Shadalhoyak. On the shelves there, she was shocked to see three figurines from Shadalhoyak for sale, all illegally. She seized the figurines and demanded that the shopkeeper tell her where he got them. He claimed that diggers from the site had just walked in one day and sold them. So the official grabbed the shopkeeper by the ear and dragged him to the dig site to confront Mallard. Upon seeing the figurines, Mallard's heart sank. They were undoubtedly from Shadalhoyak. But he denied all knowledge of wrongdoing. He led the shopkeeper over to his workers. The shopkeeper quickly fingered four of them as the culprits. A heated argument erupted, with accusations flying back and forth. The workers denied everything. And they were so angry about being called thieves that they quit on the spot, as did all the other workers. Mallard now faced disaster. Although innocent, his name would be sullied by this scandal since it took place on his dig site. Equally bad, without diggers, work on the site pretty much stopped for the year. And it soon became clear that the digging would not resume anytime soon. Mallard tried to apply for more permits the next year. The government denied them and told Mallard he'd be lucky to ever work in Turkey again. Meanwhile, there was a twist with the saga of the Dorak treasures. The British tabloids had been following the Mallard scandal avidly. And in 1966, two reporters went down to Turkey to dig up some dirt. What they found shocked them. They visited Izmir, the city where Anna lived. They began searching for her at 217 Kazım Derek Street. To their bafflement, they realized that there were two streets with that name in the same city. One was indeed a shopping center, but the other was a residence. They raced right over. Had they found Anna at last? That's when the story swerved again. The reporters learned that, a few years earlier, the government had renamed several local roads. The government was trying to bring some order to the city's chaotic street plan. And while they were at it, officials renumbered all the houses as well. The bottom line was, between the renaming and the renumbering, as well as the general turnover of people moving in and out of the neighborhood, no one quite remembered where the old 217 Kazım Derek Street was. The journalists searched and searched, but never found a trace of Anna. The development left Mallart in agony. It was partial vindication, proof, he said, that the Turkish government had botched its original investigation. But it fell short of the exoneration he needed. Without Anna, he could not prove his innocence. As a result, the Turkish government retained the upper hand. 
The government soon banned Millard from Chateau-Hoyac for life. Millard had discovered Chateau-Hoyac, one of the most important archaeological sites in history, but he never set eyes on it again. The Turkish government did not stop there, either. After banning Millard, officials erected a huge fence around Chateau-Hoyac, and no one else was allowed to dig there for the next 30 years. Unfortunately, they also let the site exposed to the elements. Before long, rain and heat destroyed several priceless murals, and mud-brick homes that had lasted 9,000 years crumbled into dust in months. All because James Millard had gotten into a spat with the Turkish government. In the end, the Dorak treasures never turned up. Like Anna, they vanished. And overall, it's probably impossible to say what really happened in the Dorak affair. The simplest explanation is that Millard just made the whole thing up. Or perhaps the treasures did exist, but Millard changed key details about them, or about Anna, perhaps to protect her. For his part, Millard went to his death in 2012, claiming that he had been framed. And many archaeologists who knew him still believe he's innocent. But other clues say perhaps not. As of now, the only tangible evidence that Anna existed is the letter she sent to Millard saying that she loved him. But there are some fishy details about that letter. For one thing, in the letter's address line, Anna misspelled Cosm Derrick Street, which seems a bit suspicious considering that she lived there. And that's not all. Anna dated the letter as 10-18, October 18th. But instead of the numeral one, there's a capital I in the 10 and the 18th. Read literally, it says I0-I8. Which is weird. Who beyond the Romans would ever use an I for a one like that? Well, James Millard's wife did. For whatever reason, when his wife wrote letters to people, she usually typed a capital I instead of a one. And is it really a coincidence that Anna supposedly did as well? More likely, Millard's wife was in on the hoax. How ironic if, after all that smoke from Millard about his wife getting angry over Anna, his wife was maybe helping him perpetuate a fraud the whole time. Even worse for Millard, after his death, his family found something disturbing. His office was full of fake, supposedly ancient artifacts from Anatolia. It's not clear why Millard was making them, perhaps to sell, or perhaps he was forging them for scholarly reasons. Again, he was obsessed with proving that Anatolia had a glorious past. So perhaps he invented fraudulent evidence to support that theory. Regardless, this discovery further undermined an already teetering reputation. And the worst part is, it was all so unnecessary. The incident with Anna supposedly took place in spring 1958, and later that same year, Millard discovered Chattel Hoyak, which proved beyond all doubt that Anatolia did have a glorious past, a past every bit as grand as Rome or Greece. But because of his alleged misdeeds, Millard was banned from exploring that past. In the end, his invented treasures cost him the real one. This is the Disappearing Spoon podcast, brought to you by the Science History Institute. 
Find out more about their library, museum, and multimedia magazine at sciencehistory.org. Make sure you check out the Science History Institute's other awesome podcast, Distillations. You can find their in-depth narrative stories and interviews about everything from space junk to sex, drugs, and migraines anywhere you get your podcast and on their website, distillations.org. You can find more incredible stories from my books at samkeen.com. You can also book me as a speaker at your school or event. If you like this podcast, please support it at patreon.com slash disappearingspoon. It costs as little as seven cents per day. You can also get bonus episodes and signed books. Please spread the word to others as well and subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or other places. This episode was written by me, Sam Keen. It was mixed by Jonathan Pfeffer and produced by Mariel Carr and Rigoberto Hernandez. Thanks for listening. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.